standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Well, it's one of two episodes, actually. In the other episode, you will hear us chatting to resident bookworm and now published author Anne Miller about her new children's book, Mickey and the Animal Spies. Spoiler alert, Mickey of Animal Spies fame has a cat called Clark. Lawsuits are pending. It's a great chat and Anne is a delight, as always, so I suggest you listen to it. But in this Chops right now, this is the second part of our series on pregnancy, which is running throughout February. Last week, I went to the Family Museum and chatted to Karen Hearn and Carrie Howell, respectively art historian and museum director, about their Portraying Pregnancy exhibition. And it is fascinating. So do have a listen to that if you haven't already. This week I am chatting to Dr Marlies De Vivo who is a senior research fellow in perinatal physical activity at Canterbury Christchurch University and Sally Kettle who is a speaker, adventurer and with Marlies co-founder of the Active Pregnancy Foundation. I wanted to chat to them because as you know I am into my exercise and if you listen to this week's podcast you will also know very much up the duff. So this has been a really fascinating area for me to think about being pregnant and navigating the choppiest of waters of information that is out there and available to pregnant women. Just never google anything basically. There's so much misinformation out there about exercising during pregnancy and such mystery around it. But we also touch on other things that maybe you don't know about, I didn't know about, like the fact that your bones separate and stuff like that and, you know, can go on for a really long time afterwards and things like that. It'll be fine. It will be fine. But also, you know, your pelvic floor. What are you doing about that? And what's going to happen to that? And who should you talk to about that? There's a lot of information here and I think it's really useful. Certainly I found it a useful chat. But one thing I do have to say before we start the podcast is that no one in this conversation is a medical doctor. Marlies is a clever clogs doctor but not a medical doctor. And so while there's a lot of information in there... You should always talk to a GP or midwife before you embark on a new exercise regime in pregnancy. So please do do that if you listen to this and you think, oh, wow, I'm pregnant. wonder how I can start being active. Just make sure you have a chat with someone who is medically trained before you do so. Anyway, now that that caveat has been successfully delivered, no pun intended. Hey, honestly, I didn't mean to do that. Over to Molly's and Sally. And I hope that you find this chat very interesting and indeed informative. I'm joined by Dr. Marlies De Vivo, Senior Research Fellow in Perinatal Physical Activity at Canterbury Christchurch University, and Sally Kessel, Speaker, Adventurer, and with Marlies, co-founder of the Active Pregnancy Foundation. Sally, you're the CEO, and Marlies, you are the Chief Scientific Officer. Thanks very much for joining me. Well, yeah, that was great. Thank you for inviting us along. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what you guys do at the Active Pregnancy Foundation and you know what sort of projects you're working on? So the charity is actually very young, so totally in its infancy. We've only been around for about a year and only really kind of you know really going for it in the last six months. And one of our first projects for this year is to create an Active Pregnancy Awareness Day because you know if we can't get people aware about the problem, then you know then people aren't going to know that something needs to be fixed. So that's one of our, our things for this year, and it'll either be in August or September. There was um, certainly one thing that I'm, I'm particularly 
passionate about, and that is reaching out to women who may be lost a baby or chosen to terminate, because you know they are still going through the process of, of pregnancy, depending on what time they've chosen to terminate or, or they've uh, they've miscarried or or stillbirth. And actually, you know, it's important for us to reach out to them as well and give them a kind of like almost like a sisterly hug and say, look, you know, your body has still gone through that process, and therefore it will still have those same kind of physiological issues that somebody who's had a successful pregnancy will have. So, you know, we are not excluding those women. And in fact, I would say we're encouraging them as much as anybody to use activity as a means of improving their well-being and mental health if that happens. It can be exceptionally lonely being in that space. And um, being able to get some fresh air, get some vitamin D, go and join other women or just go for a walk in the fresh air can be massively beneficial um, to enable you to kind of get through something like that. But for us, our, you know, our focus is predominantly on the health and fitness industry. So alerting them to the problem and then engaging with them and then offering some solutions and how best that they can upskill everybody from their receptionist at the local gym to their personal trainers. So that enables women to be able to go to their local active places and spaces and be able to get the support. But also engaging with women and providing for them accurate, sensible, engaging um, activity that they can kind of get involved in and know that it's come from a place of scientific research. I'm sort of drawn to this subject because, as I've just said to you, I am pregnant myself because I am a regular sort of, you know, gym goer and whatever. I'm quite active myself, although I have found it quite hard during pregnancy. We'll come back to that. But I found there's a lot of conflicting information out there because I think there is a bit of a misconception that now is the time to sort of kick back, eat a digestive biscuit and watch the Coronation Street omnibus. What should women actually be doing? I think actually interestingly it might be worth talking about why women aren't doing it already and I think yeah. there's definitely a kind of a culture of fear and uncertainty around being active during pregnancy because it's such a special time <laughs> you know <laughs> and women you know genuinely are frightened of losing their babies I mean that's how people feel and it's also how potentially partners feel. Why do you think they feel that way? My own story is that I went through IVF and I think that is unique in itself in that when you go through that process you are very, very conscious that one, you pay for it and two, you're probably there because you've been trying for a long time and you can't get pregnant and therefore when it comes to being pregnant you'll do everything you possibly can to maintain that pregnancy. Therefore if you're in any way concerned that doing something that you would normally do like go for a run is going to somehow jeopardise the, the long term you know, sustainability of that pregnancy you won't do it and that's not just for women who have IVF that's for lots of women who are kind of concerned about maintaining a pregnancy that maybe they've wanted for a very long time. I think there's a lot of fear but also a lot of misunderstanding. I think for my pregnancy I had two normal pregnancies but I also had the knowledge to know that being active would ultimately not be good just for me but also for baby and I was sort of in a situation where I got pointed at for being active and in the gym and I found that extremely frustrating and I think I got to a point where I wanted other people to be empowered so that they could make these types of decisions for themselves without other people pointing fingers and I wanted to know 
pregnancy is not just about what you can't do because that's that's all we hear don't do this and don't do this and don't do this but I wanted to know what I could do and once I had that information it was so much easier to navigate through this whole sort of nightmare of being pregnant because I didn't enjoy it and today we really had two discussions with two other ladies who also didn't enjoy it and it's it's, it's not a pleasant experience not everybody glows but it's empowering to know that you can still be yourself it's not all about baby and don't lose yourself in that sort of journey. Mm. And I think particularly once you've had baby and even if you're thinking of having another child, you've lost yourself for a long time before, before you actually find your way again. And it's about having the knowledge to make the choices for yourself. Yes. And I think actually this is a modern, a modern thing. You know, back pre-50s, women just got on with it. They just got on with whatever it is they needed to get done to do it, you know, and they um, often gave birth at home. There were obviously problems with that, and many babies were lost, but in the 1970s it became very medicalised. And actually there was a movement back then called the Active Birth Movement, which was um, led by two incredible women whose names completely escaped me, but they're, you know, they're still with us today and still um, kind of banging the drum to enable women to make choices about staying active during the birth. And that, at the time, was really radical because of the medicalisation of the birthing process. We're women in our kind of 30s and 40s here and we are the product of women who experienced the 1970s medicalised birth and they brought with them fear and trauma from that experience. And when you have fear and trauma, women will behave in a way that is, of course, they're going to self-protect. And in doing that, they'll stop doing the stuff that they feel they want to do through that fear. Why do you think we feel like we need to sort of wrap ourselves up so much in cotton wool? It's human nature. I mean, I was only having a conversation earlier today with somebody who's, you know, I got some feedback for a talk I gave, and it was like, excellent, 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 and then a one star, way too rah-rah for me. And of course, you know, you're suddenly gravitating towards the negative and thinking, oh my God, how can it be less rah-rah? You know, what's wrong with me? Am I such a bad speaker? You know, and I think that's human nature to be drawn to the negative. In fact, there's a project called Tell Me a Good Birth Story, which you can go to online and have a read where it shares good birth stories because there is so much kind of negativity around this space and and um, kind of horror stories and of course those those do exist but there are also really positive things that we can do choices that we can make it's just that we need more role models I think more women like us making those choices so that we can see that it's completely normal and and it's totally okay to do what you choose to do so that's one of the things that the Active Pregnancy Foundation really wants to achieve is to bring together a kind of like um, role, role models real women being active in the full gambit of activity everything from you know those women who don't do a lot of activity at all who decide they're going to go and just go for a nice good walk with their mates or you know go swimming or get on a bicycle to those women who are athletes who are doing tries every weekend you know there is a, a lot to be said for seeing somebody who is the same ability as you doing something in their pregnancy that makes you think yeah actually that's something I can do too I think there's also wider issues and, and we, we started with that women being active, girls being active, that's, that's a big thing in society and growing up in a family where your children see you being active rather than, it's very important and, and that's creating a whole different sort of scenario and quite often I think 
in my life, my life certainly, I've had to drop off the kids here or leave them there so that I can go and do something. But they've never actually, they know I'm doing it, but they've actually seen me do it. And I think it's that's the same. So sort of mom being active is normal. Yeah. It's just part of everyday living. It's not this whole big issue that we're making it to be. But also there's connected guilt with that. You know, um, when you when you give birth, it comes with a good, healthy dose of guilt. You know, and as soon as you say, I'm going to make time for me to go out and go to a gym class or go for a walk, then, um, of course, you suddenly feel guilty that you're leaving your child behind. And, and that can actually be a real barrier for many women. And in fact, time is a massive you know, barrier for women, especially if they're in a second or third you know, birth and they've got other children to care for. If there are no crash facilities at your local gym and that's where you want to go, what the hell are you going to do? You know, you're calling on your extended family and friends to support you and in the end you probably decide that actually it's better just to not do anything at all. We know from things like This Girl Can, which is a fantastic campaign and work done by women in sport, we know that one of the main barriers to young girls or well the point at which girls sort of fall out of physical education we know that a lot of that is to do with the lack of normalization of physical activity it's just not something that still which is incredible in, in 2020 although I think you know slowly changing but it's still not sold to women as this is a world you're welcoming you, you should feel comfortable in and actively participate in and I suppose that must be something you see massively in in the pregnant women who engage with your organisation is that maybe a lot of them weren't active in the first place. It's a, it's a societal problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a sign of our times as well. Looking back at this school can, and they've done some amazing work, but in, in terms of pregnancy, I think we have to realise that before 2017, this country did not have any national guidance on being active in pregnancy. Wow. So it's, it's a very new and a very recent thing, and change is going to take time. Yeah. Um, so before 2017, the only form of guidance came in terms of a position statement by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, but we had nothing coming from the top. In 2017, we had the first pregnancy guidelines. In 2019, we had the first postnatal physical activity guidelines. So it's all very fresh and it's going to take a long time to implement because it's not just one infographic, it's a whole systems change, it's upskilling of healthcare professionals, it's undergraduate training, it's a society adapting to, to this whole new mums being active and pregnant women seeing being active. So it's certainly going to take a long time before it's normal, but I think the longer we delay and the longer sort of pussyfoot around the issue the bigger the problem is going to become. And also, though, I think we live in a culture now that is, a, is very self-starting, and that's a really massively positive thing. So I come from an adventure background, and when I first you know, was entering into it, there were really very rarely any women taking part. And um, if they were, you didn't hear about them. Now there are online sites with thousands of women who would classify themselves as adventurers because they're self-starting and they're being encouraged by their peers. And if we can create that groundswell of, you know, not necessarily knowledge, but just um, a want to do something, I think they can pretty much carry people along with them. What we would like to do is be able to provide them with the right, appropriate and safe information to enable them to do it well. And also we've got an, an issue, I think, with the um, health and fitness industry. So, you know, I don't know whether you've been into your local gym recently, how many pregnant women have you seen, right? 
none. None, yeah, exactly. And we know that only 8% of personal trainers have a pre and postnatal. Uh, qualification and and it's also I think a feminist issue in that the you know vast majority of those eight percent are women and they're usually women who've had kids who've decided to go into that space because they found that there's no information for women who have kids right so if if we have not enough actual expertise on the ground in the gyms then how can people feel confident that they're going to get the right advice when they go there and so they don't go and we're not just talking about gyms, we are talking about, you know, just going out into the open space and, in, and enjoying being active for activity's sake. But actually there are a lot of women who want to be in their local gym, who want to go back to that summer class, who want to do the swimming that they were doing all their lives, you know. They want to be able to do that and to feel that the people who are running those classes at least feel confident that they have the right information to be able to guide them. And that's what we need to change. I want to go back to um, what you said about the guidelines, Marlies. From sort of the research I've done, the general consensus is it is good for you, but it's good to have a baseline level of fitness just in preparation for going into labour because it's obviously a massive physical undertaking, as is, you know, pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> but then various different healthcare professionals have said different things to me. So in the early pregnancy, I said, you know, am I OK to exercise? And the woman at the hospital said, in the early pregnancy unit, said no. And I thought, oh, that sounds wrong to me, but okay. I have seen a consultant quite recently and talked to her about it and said, I'm finding it quite hard to exercise and I know that's something I should be doing. And she said, look, if you're doing a lot of walking, that's good. Like, don't stress yourself out about it too much. Do what you can do, kind of thing. So, I mean, I'm sure there's no one set rule because everyone's different and everyone's sort of baseline level of fitness is different. But what sort of things should women be doing? And is sort of, you know, just getting out and doing a long walk every now and again, is that enough? I think the first thing to recognise is every pregnancy is different. So, yeah, you have to find what works for you and what makes you happy. There's no point in starting something or taking on an activity that you really don't enjoy. You have to enjoy, you have to find some kind of enjoyment out of it. In terms of the national guidelines, they basically say that whatever you were doing before, you can continue doing. So if you have an un uncomplicated pregnancy, so there's no nothing that is either caused by or made worse by the fact that you are pregnant, you can continue doing that activity. There are obviously some safety considerations. So, for example, we quite often qu quote this is don't bump the bump, don't do something that's going to make you fall or, you know, kind of go horse riding or so anything where there's a risk of falling, anything where there's physiological risk factors, so for example scuba diving or skydiving. Yeah, <laughs> skiing at high altitudes, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then and then sensible approach of stay um, hydrated, don't don't exercise for too long. So they, there's some very simple things, but as a golden rune, you know, don't stop. Adapt what you're doing. So if you were a runner, for example, you may need to adapt to jogging and then to walking but whatever you do try not to stop try and adapt and and that and that's i think the golden rule but also from our perspective there's no should mm. it's mm. not a should be doing it's what you choose to do so you can choose to be prepared and uh, and you know that is is entirely within your your hands really and for you to listen to your body and, and like marley says adapt if you're thinking, you know, actually a really nice walk today would really suit me, then go out and bloody well do it. And don't listen to the naysayers. If you're enjoying body pump classes, for example, continue doing your body pump classes. When it feels like it, you're ready to stop, stop. You know, you shouldn't have to should do it. 
I think that's something that we're really keen not to do, is to bang women over the head. We're not saying to them, you should be out there doing more activity. That does not work. Being lectured to and lectured at does not, not work in our experience. And I don't want to be lectured at. I don't know about you. All we can do is gently lead women by the hand and say, you need more support and guidance, and we're going to enable that by upskilling people within the health and fitness industry to give you the support and guidance that you need. And it's like you say, it's... it's even with healthcare professionals, we do another project called This Mum Moves, and we started with a healthcare professional survey, and a lot of them didn't even know that the national guidance existed. So I'm not at all surprised by different healthcare professionals giving you different advice. And that's a thing that's going to take a long time to change. It starts right from undergraduate, but we've got a whole workforce that needs upskilling. So there's a lot of good work, I think, going on elsewhere trying to upskill these healthcare professionals but I think if you are presented with advice like that you should really make them aware that there is national guidance are they aware of it and um, it's freely available on, on the government website go and have a look and then next time ask them if they did I think it, if we as women don't start putting pressure on our healthcare professionals with this type of information they just not going to look but then it's, it, it seems to me it's kind of a bit of continuity of something that I think goes on right through a woman's life and we talk about this on the podcast all the time about there is just not a lot of research done into women's bodies and physiological changes and so we don't really know why periods hurt, we don't really know what goes on with women's bodies in menopause, it seems to me from my experience of pregnancy that there's a lot we don't know about why things happen in pregnancy I don't I think yes we need more women involved in research absolutely yes but I also feel that there's a disconnect between science and practice that there is a lot of research actually being done that our guidelines is evidence-based and it is sitting there but it's not being implemented in practice and that there is a long delay before that those guidelines are implemented in practice and that affects real women every day and that's a bigger problem not a lot of healthcare professionals knew that the guidelines existed and all they referred to was something called the NICE guidelines. Now that's the guidelines that informs their practice. That's their clinical guidelines for practice. And a funny thing is that within those guidelines they refer to physical activity as a means of controlling weight throughout pregnancy but um, they discount all the other benefits and that's a real issue. And, And we've written sort of several articles and letters and things about that because the problem is is that it affects real women on the ground and something needs to change in the way that we translate evidence into practice and I think there's a whole conversation that needs to happen there so it's not that the science isn't there it is there it's just not being communicated effectively to women and that's a that's a bigger problem and that doesn't just apply to pregnancy it applies to various other conditions and I think actually I just don't think it's sexy in the same way that cancers are sexy in terms of you know people die from cancer people die don't die from painful periods and women have had painful periods time memoriam so just suck it up and get on with it is you know what do you know what I mean yeah if if literally women were keeling over in the street we we would be having a completely different conversation here but they're not and and babies are born every single day it's become so normal that actually there's a sense that perhaps it's not that important 
Bestie, do you think that women's pain is normalised? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's, it's a, for many women, a monthly occurrence. London. I want you to imagine I'm giving you that look that your mum did when she bought you that really expensive toy you've been nagging her for for Christmas and then you never played with it. If we're going to keep doing shows in London, we need you to turn up. And here's your chance. Consider it your Valentine's Day present to us because our next show is February the 14th where our guests will be actor and all-round gem Pauline Feckin McLean and political correspondent, comedian and withstander of Twitter twattage, Aisha Hazarika. So, if you want to spend Valentine's Day with a bunch of welcoming women, get yourself over to our website, standardissuepodcast.com. What you were saying before about the fitness being seen as like a means of managing weight or whatever, that's like a wider problem within exercise and the fitness industry it is improving definitely people talk a lot more about the mental health benefits of exercise for example but for women fitness is seen i would say still predominantly as about your physical aesthetic rather than your health or your mental well-being for men as well to be honest yeah absolutely i mean when we when i was doing my um my personal training course the men were there because they wanted to look good and the women were there because they wanted to look good i think it's across the board and also they were going into the industry to enable other people to look good and i think that's endemic um and in fact, you know, training and, and going to the gym and exercise as an actual activity, it's only really in its infancy. You know, the first gyms didn't really come out until the 1970s, 80s. And even then, there were only really weight, you know, weightlifters and, and bodybuilders. Kind of people actually going out and, and running for the joy of running is actually only in the you know, mid 20th century. So, you know, it's still new. I think we think that because humans been around for a long time, that that has been around for a long time, but really it hasn't. And so we're still, like I say, it's a, it's a baby still starting to walk, really. There's so, also um, there's a difference between being active and exercising. Mm. And in some of the work we've done before is that pregnant women don't want to hear exercise necessarily. But if your conversation is structured around moving and being active, it's received better. So I think this, it's also in the way we communicate this as being important, we need to pay attention to things like that. Like you can be active, but you don't have to exercise. Yes. That, that is a big difference. There's a big difference in those two things. And, and things like going out and about with your family, playing with your children in the park, taking the stairs, you know, getting um, off the bus one stop earlier and walking the rest of the way. That, that's always we can be active. And there is no sort of, yes, we all have to aim towards um, 150 minutes of being moderately active at a moderate intensity. Yes, okay, we know that. But we also know that any activity counts. So whatever you, you can do is better than doing nothing. Yeah. And I think we have to pull it back, strip it back, right back to that. It's like whatever you can do, keep do doing. It. Keep doing it. Yeah. And what you enjoy doing, do it. Walking the dog with your husband, great. Keep doing that. You don't have to go to a gym. 
And in fact, many women can't afford to go to the gym. They can't afford personal trainers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so what do they do? And, you know, if they're interested in it, they may well go online and, and find a reality TV star who's recently had a baby who started doing some exercises postnatally and without any advice or expertise whatsoever. And we go, OK, right, OK, if that person's doing it, then I'll do it too. And that's not necessarily the right thing to do, you know. That's, so, you know, for us, it's important, again, to, you know, signpost and amplify those practitioners who are doing it really well, who are already providing it who are already ticking that box and allowing women to choose, you know, from that smorgasbord of great practice, what is good for them, what they want to engage with. I mean, um, I don't know about you, but when I became pregnant, it was, well, maybe you should do a yoga class. Yes, lots of yoga. Lots of yoga. And I went to a yoga class and I was tossed out. It was so embarrassing. Not everybody wants to do yoga. It's boring. But for many women who've not been active they do choose to do yoga mm. and it's great and it's really good for meeting other women in the same situation as you and building those support networks and that's something that's really you know exciting about this project is that actually it's connecting women with other women who are going through the same thing as them and actually going out and doing stuff together so um, building those kind of support networks for when things get tough and difficult and you know they need a, a, a sister from another mister to sit down mm. and just chat things and it's, through and it's like you said you're only going to really hear those true stories of what it's really like being pregnant from that sort of support network you are very unlikely to hear all those things from your healthcare professional at the time unless it's something you bring up specifically but it's that social support network that you can you, you can call a spade a spade <laughs> you can say it how it is yeah and it's okay and you can have those frank discussions and and i think empowering women in that way there's a lot to be said about that as well so marlies can i ask you from a scientific perspective there are things that happen to your body during pregnancy there's lots of things that happen to your body during pregnancy and that's probably a conversation to have with one of your one of your friends at a yoga class or whatever but sort of in terms of the physical changes that you might want to be a bit aware of can you tell us a bit about that significant anatomical changes obviously Um, as your bump grows your sort of center of gravity swifts forward so your posture changes so that's something to just keep in mind as your pregnancy progresses so obviously you know you're going to have a bump so you you can't bend over anymore stuff like that but that's the kind of thing that would never occur to me that your balance goes absolutely yeah and with that i mean in in order to prepare for birth your your body starts adapting and it produces more of a hormone called relaxin so your ligaments get looser and and it's painful it can be painful at times but also you then have to be aware that you can lose your balance more, you are more supple, you have to look out for certain certain activities just is not suitable. And I think what a lot of women don't know is that these sort of changes, the metabolic changes, can last for up to 12 months after you've given birth. So some of those things persist and you still have to be careful in that in the period after giving birth. Physiologically, your organs get, get pushed up. <laughs> it's yeah. not comfortable. Yeah, so, so for example, um, it's advised that pregnant women don't do exercises lying flat on their back after the first trimester. Um, and that's because you can get dizzy really quickly. Don't, don't sit on, for example, an exercise ball with one left leg lifted and the other arm lifted. It's, it's, I mean, it's, some of the things are really logic, but we, they're not necessarily pointed out. So you have to keep in mind that your, your body is changing. You can't get away from that. 
I want to tackle a misconception that is, if you are super fit, you will have a really easy birth. If you're training for a marathon, you can have the best training ever and still have a really crap marathon run. To use that analogy, if you're training for a marathon, you do the best you can to be able to get around it. You can choose not to do that. And some people choose not to do that and they'll run the marathon in less than five hours and they'll come out of it and looking great. The vast majority of us probably won't be looking great. Okay, so there's the lucky ones and then there's the rest of us. And then there's the ones who have trained really, really, really hard and as soon as they've hit the, the ground running, everything goes wrong. So there's no guarantee of a, of a better birth. But if there is more evidence that shows that if you go into your pregnancy fitter, healthier, more active, you will be able to recover more quickly. And that's the same with everything, right? So, you know, if your children are active and, and healthy, if they have chicken pots or a problem, they're more likely to recover from it. It's, it's, it's basic common sense. I want to ask you, Sally. Mm. So you are, as I said, an adventurer. Yeah. I think I read that you rode across the Atlantic. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. But it was a while ago. Yeah. But <laughs> so I was, like, you know, super active. I find it, one, really weird how kind of apathetic I now feel about yes. exercise yeah. but also really frustrating because I had to work quite hard to get to the place that yes. I was at did you find that in pregnancy or did you just keep going Were you no like, oh, yeah no absolutely and actually I think quite difficult for women who are super active and very fit and who are engaging in you know long distance things or triathlons to adapt to how their body's feeling now mm. in their pregnancy. It's hard, and it's, I think, just as hard once they've given birth as well, because you're kind of thinking, I should be up, I should be getting out there, I can do this, I used to be able to do that and, you know, run this, and now I can't do it. And actually that can be you know, quite detrimental to one's mental health yeah. because and self-esteem and self-confidence, because that was the identity you had before you were pregnant, and it's very different now during and afterwards but it is only a, a part of one's life it's a flash it's you know it's over <laughs> it doesn't feel like it yeah I know it doesn't feel like it when you're in it but but I think what we found is that just by staying active in that time you give your ch- yourself the best chance of having a better recovery especially with things like pelvic floor mm. which can have consequences for the rest of your life and I think that's what people um, many women don't realise that actually incontinence can um, occur and continue to occur for a long time after pregnancy, especially if you're having one or two you know, more afterwards. Also prolapse. I don't think there's enough being talked about in terms of pelvic floor exercises and what women can do to support themselves in that. We, we deal with a, a wide range of women and, and there are super fit women, athletes, who come into pregnancy and for them it is definitely difficult to sort of adapt but what we find is that they are able to maintain a higher intensity of being active throughout their pregnancy but the problem we quite often see is that they then come back too soon and that things such as vaginal prolapse those type of things can are more likely to happen to women who return to activity too soon after pregnancy and after having given birth and that's a real concern and I think it's not just for those elite athletes, but it's also women like, oh, I've now had a baby, I've put on all this weight, I'm not, I need to get rid of it, and I now need to get back to stuff. And then they take on something new too soon without even having had a discussion or a pelvic health assessment. Really bad things can happen then as well. And I think we need to be more open about these types of conversations. We need to have them more with our support networks, with our 
health visitors, our midwives and our physiotherapists. I think physiotherapy is something that is overlooked as a service postnatally and, and they there for women. We should insist and we should ask for a pelvic health assessment following childbirth. Yeah. Can you do it? Is that just yes. something you can ask your GP? Yeah, you are entitled to a pelvic health assessment. And also the six-week check. It's different with every GP you go to. There's no standardisation to that. So that's yeah. something we would like to tackle. Yeah. Is that sort of like, um, I can't remember what it's called, but the thing where your abdominal muscles, but where they separate? It's, 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 it should be kind of like a, 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 quite a long list of things that should be checked at that point, you know, in terms of mental health as well as, you know, how breastfeeding is going, if you've chosen to do that. You know, so there, is, there, is, there should be better guidance, I think, for GPs implementing the six-week check, and at the moment there isn't. For a woman trying to go back into exercise, or even not just having that six-week checkup after, obviously you want to feel empowered when you go into that situation what kind of things should women or could women think about asking their GP if they think maybe they haven't sort of done the most thorough job the thing is with that six week postnatal check is by then you are quite overwhelmed having a new baby so the things that you're probably thinking about now will not matter by the time you're having that six week check and, and I think for a lot of women by that time they feel that that is all about baby again and it's more about baby than it is about you so I think as questions come up throughout your pregnancy or in that first six to eight weeks write them down and go there with an actual list of stuff because whilst you're in that appointment it will probably not be about you as much but if something's come up that is worrying you or if there's something that you really wanted to do like for example you were a runner and you want to return back to running Take that as a question, as a, something that you've written down and ask that specifically. And you feel if it's not being answered, then I would say ask your midwife as well, ask your health visitor as well. Don't just leave it at that appointment. Keep asking the healthcare professionals. And because there's no standardization, it's very difficult to know what, what the other options are. But I would be prepared for that appointment and prepare for it long in advance whilst you still have some sanity and you're not <laughs> overwhelmed with it. I think if you presented with an answer that you're not entirely happy with insist that they show you some of the national guidelines for every GP there's now something called the active practice charter which means they can at the click of a button look up physical activity advice in the surgery and they have access to all those resources so ask for a handout ask for a leaflet ask to leave with something in your hand that lists other resources and sites and apps and, and things like that and then follow up on that if you have another appointment let's say couple of weeks afterwards with the house visitor and something's come up ask them that question and also you know try the physiotherapist you know ask a physiotherapist yeah ask for a referral you are entitled to ask for that referral definitely there is something called a mummy mot following childbirth it's, it's pelvic health assessment it is great ask for things like that and do you have resources on your website for things women could try like tips about staying active things like that we will i've obviously i have a university role as well and in that i've worked on several sort of resources i've mentioned this mom moves now a couple of times so this mom moves is a sport england funded project and it's about upskilling healthcare professionals specifically but I think in consistency of information, you can never just target one audience. It needs to be a whole systems approach. So with that, we have produced resources for healthcare professionals, but also for women. So if you go to thismarmoves.co.uk, you can download leaflets. And uh, yeah, it's freely available. 
but we are also supported by something called Baby Buddy. Baby Buddy is an app, so some of our resources are also available through the app. Um, and then I think it is a, this whole systems approach. We know that healthcare professional side is kind of being worked on, but for us it's in holding the fitness and laser industry accountable. So it's once you have that leaflet from your midwife, if you speak to your PT, that they give you the same information. Mm. And that's really important to us because what we've found is that midwife will say, well, tell your fitness instructor and fitness instructor will say, well, ask your midwife. Yes. And it leaves you in this gray area with, well, okay, I'm not entirely sure, so I'll do nothing. Or wait, I'll Google it. And then you just find all sorts of stuff that you're still not entirely convinced about. It's a big task and it's holding all the different sort of stakeholders accountable in giving accurate and clear information throughout the journey. And we work with one of the industry regulators, so we've worked with them to set the professional standards for antenatal and postnatal training, and that's for PTs. So once you PT is a level three, so once you're at that level, if you access the antenatal or postnatal qualification, within that content will be the national guidance as well. Our biggest problem now is that lower level qualifications are still not aware or being held accountable to those sort of standards. So uh, something that, that we're working on is to try and implement a basic knowledge of what pregnant women can and can't and should and shouldn't be doing within those lower qualifications. So that is actually, that's a practical thing that women can sort of take away with them if they are going to classes at a gym or they're going to a PT or something like that. They can actually look and see to what degree the people holding those classes, etc., yeah. are, are qualified. And actually, one of our long-term aims is to create something called Baby Bumps Welcome Accreditation. Mm. So it's an accreditation scheme in which individuals like personal trainers, um, all the way up to big companies like David Lloyd, for example, uh, can sign up and say that they're a gold star provider mm. of um, pre- and postnatal care. So if you're a level two personal trainer who has the basic knowledge but can confidently guide somebody to the best classes they can do, they get a one star, for example, but if they are fully qualified to the hilt, they've been doing it for years, then they get a five-star. And so women will be able to access that database, see who's you know, providing near them and what qualifications they have. Because I don't know about you, but as a personal trainer experience, you know, I had insurance and I had qualifications, but hardly anybody ever asked me. And certainly when I was looking for a personal trainer, I suppose I kind of went on my gut feeling, you know, which is daft because I was in the industry. Do I like this person? Do I want to train with them? Tick, tick, tick. Yes, please, that's the person I want to train with without actually looking at the qualifications they necessarily had. It's difficult, isn't it? Because, you, you know, your relationship with a personal trainer is quite... Personal. Of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny quite, enough. It's quite an intimate relationship in a way. So you sort of, like, you do want to feel like you like them and you trust them. And yeah, absolutely. Because you're trusting them with your body. Yeah. Which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, Whether it you're is. pregnant or not. Yeah, so what you're, you know, so I suspect some people will go, we'll lead with their heart and others will lead with their head. Mm. Um, but if we can create a resource where women are guaranteed that, you know, our accreditation will mean that that person or place will be able to care for them in the most appropriate way. And, and it's also a wider issue because we, we touched on having childcare. So, for example, if, if there's a leisure site with PTs who are qualified to a certain standard, but they also offer a crash. Yeah. Yes, boom. Yeah. Five stars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a wider issue, and, and it's considering all those different barriers 
that apply to women who want to be active. Yes, and you know, something like Park Run, they have pregnant, pregnant running sessions now. Um, I don't know where they'd land on our accreditation, but they also have young children taking part. So, you know, that's a, a must be a tick for many parents, you yeah. know, to be able to take their kids along as well as to be able to run if you're a pregnant woman. So that's the sort of thing, you know, we're, we're looking at. It's not just the qualifications, it's also, yeah, the support around it. This is a minefield. Really, yeah, yeah. and please and be patient with us because it's going to take a while for us to. Yeah, these things will take time, but they are happening. Change is happening, and I think find your happy, find your enjoyment. Don't stop, adapt. If I can say anything, is just do what you like for as long as you can. <laughs> yes, because when you've got a screaming baby who's <laughs> just a few days old, I think you'll have appreciated that moment to be out there. Where can we find you on Twitter or Instagram or whatever your social media platforms of choice may be? Yes, yeah, so Active Pregnancy Foundation on Twitter and online and we're on Instagram as well. Yeah. My Twitter handle is at Marley's DV. Mine's at Sally Kettle, so you can always get me there. And please share your stories. That's something we'd love to, to hear, right, actually. We want women's stories about, you know, their experience of being active in pregnancy, whether it's been good or bad or, you know, or nothing at all. We really would love to hear that. So if they come on online and if they want to share, they can also email us from our website. Yeah. Just tell us what you've experienced, whether you were doing it, you were massively active and then somebody said don't do it and then you stopped and you regretted it, all the way to I absolutely love staying active, I did it all the way through and you know I still had a bad birth, whatever it is, positive or negative, it's um, sharing those stories that other women can feel that they have role models and relate, yeah. A cautionary is if you have specific medical questions, don't come to us, go to your medical health team, okay? We're not at the moment in the position to kind of help and support you we can all we can say right now is if you are worried or concerned about anything go to your healthcare providers and on that bombshell i'm off to have a biscuit i'm not i'm gonna go to the gym actually um <laughs> i've got my kit in my bag <laughs> thank you both very much for joining me Hello, Mickey here to tell you how you can find out more about us. And that is if you want to follow us on Twitter. Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK. I'm at Mixed Noonan. Hannah is at That Dunleavy. And Jen is at Inspira Jen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter. Standard issue for all women.